Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your dose of 20 minutes or so of uh, thoughts of matters of the moment in and around the hotel investment space, brought to you by the regular duo of Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst. And we're starting off this week by raking over some recent comments on the state of the market in the UK, which uh, has, like most many other markets, has had the shocks of inflation and rising interest rates. Um, and perhaps we've had uh, a little bit worse than some other parts of Europe, but perhaps we're surviving a little bit better than others equally. Uh, but the point is there's been uh, these, these shocks have led to a significant slowdown in investment activity and, of course, much discussion about the uh, headwinds of operating your business in a world where uh, wages are rising and other input costs are rising. Um, but uh, we bring you good news because we've just been listening into some updates from people such as PwC, Savills, We've also been speaking to some consultants and uh, it would appear that we are probably now at the point where, um, if anything, people are starting to look at the half full glass as half full rather than half empty. And um, there's certainly a feeling that uh, those who are active in hotel investment are now kind of getting their head around the new world as it is and uh, they're perhaps fed up with sitting on their hands and things there's certainly a feeling abroad that that stuff is starting to move again and people are kind of moving ahead in a more positive way yeah i think i think this recovery is unusual in a number of ways um i think the first thing to say is it's demonstrating quite clearly that the connection between economic growth and hospitality demand has weakened um and it's weakened to the point of virtually being an irrelevant uh, idea now um the idea that leisure is still a consumer cyclical um, is surely in doubt. Um, what we have seen is consumers reducing spending elsewhere. So rather than a new car or a new sofa, they've postponed those purchases and they prefer to spend their money on hospitality um, experiences. Um, you know, even as the cost of living and all the rest of it uh, get kicks in um, people have chosen to keep the spending on those sort of things those experiences um, at the expense of the spending on stuff um, and I think this has really you know uh, caused uh, that linkage to where you say uh, you know hotel demand can be judged on the basis of uh, GDP um, that's just bunk now I just don't see there's that much of a connection now obviously you can read too much this isn't you know uh, am i at risk of sounding like gordon brown here with the, <laughs> the end of boom and bust for hospitality and uh, oh there'll um, never be high interest rates ever again yeah, <laughs> yes yeah. exactly um and I, you know that is clearly not the case and if if there is a very significant recession um this is going to impact on hospitality demand but i think the particular thing to watch is not that gdp number but rather the unemployment number that's the thing um, if people are in jobs, um, they are seen prepared to make sacrifices elsewhere to keep spending, to keep that leisure experience piece going. Um, but obviously, if they're not in a job, then that, that calls that into question. So I think that that's a big challenge there. The other thing I think which is... Uh, 
this recovery is showing is that there's a couple of things which I think people have um, got wrong. Um, the first is I think everybody has lent far too much weight to this notion about costs and the challenges of costs. Well, that only matters if you can't keep raising your prices. Mm. And if your top line keeps growing faster than um, your costs, you haven't got a problem with costs. And, you know, we're lucky in the hospitality sector we have certainly in most cases been able to keep driving forward that uh, uh, top line and in particular it's been a rate-led recovery so prices have been able to be pushed up um, which is a critical thing um, and they were able to lead the recovery with rising prices um, which has meant that that those cost rises which are very real are certainly a very real um, utility costs going up we certainly see very real food prices going up now the utility costs are heading down um, we'll wait and see how long that stays I mean I suspect there might be a few bumps along the road in that one I think we're just about at the turn in terms of the the rising food costs I think we're not going to see any turn however in the the rise of labor costs that's going to be an ongoing issue um, unless we do get into a significant downturn um, in which unemployment rises but I think that the, the crashing top line that will result from that will be a far bigger worry actually um, than and it won't be um, you know the lowering of labor costs won't be anywhere near enough to make up for that crashing top line so don't start wishing for that one I would suggest <laughs> but so we're going to see carrying on costs in terms of the, the labor piece but as long as we see that robust demand picture it's going to be very good we've also got a few um, weird things in terms of uh, supply so one of the weirdest I guess is that you know we've got something like four percent of the UK hotel stock taken up um, for asylum seeker accommodation I mean who'd have forecast that I mean <laughs> and that clearly has sucked out a significant amount of supply but even more um, I think we're seeing independence coming out of the market they are giving up um, they're either going bust or they're saying it's just not worth a candle they've come out of the uh, um, the lockdown period with very very battered uh, balance sheets and they're saying well look we just don't see a way through this we're, we're going to sell up um, and put this property to alternative use and that's a significant outflow of supply now that isn't very good data looking at that I think Whitbread probably has the best grip on that they do uh, they monitor this pretty closely um, most supply is measured really looking at uh, branded supply and branded supply is continuing to rise but I think that gives a false picture in that net overall supply of accommodation in the UK is is, is down from where it was in 2019 and it's likely to be below 29 levels for at least the next few years um, and this is despite demand actually being significantly above 2019 now and on go and, and going forward into the next few years that demand level will keep rising so it's a very very good um, demand supply outlook very good outlook in terms of um, um, that that top line piece um, and growth there I think the biggest challenge is this interest rate piece and if the impact of rising costs was overestimated I'd suggest the impact of uh, rising interest rates has been underestimated and you know we, we are seeing quite um, quite a shock coming through and you know I'm trying to resist 
using our um, line that uh, ICR is the new LTV but that's clearly the case and I think you report on that Chris that a number of uh, um, existing owner operators are selling properties um, to um, you know to enable them to refinance and it, it's simply the case they've got to put more equity in and the only way in some cases they're able to do that is to to raise some cash through a sale um, and I think we're going to see more of that um, over the next couple of years um, as these refinancings kick in um, and it, it, it's a very challenging situation with that and um, I don't want to get too much into the the whole interest rate debate again which we sort of done to death a little bit but uh, it's clearly the case it's going to be higher for longer now back in the day years ago before the pandemic um, one of the things we did at hotel s was we held an annual one day conference called hotel alternatives and uh, that was a day dedicated to looking at other buildings with beds uh, in and around the, the hotel space and that included hostels and service departments i suppose it's fair to say that uh, service departments have very much kind of headed towards the mainstream you know when you've got uh, Hilton and Marriott crowing about the fact that they are uh, building out uh, part hotels and new service department brands I guess you can call that mainstream now um, perhaps not so the hostels uh, which still remain um, slightly at arm's length to the big hotel brands but we've been uh, running the rule over them and uh, their return to a rude operating health um, obviously they were hit far harder than hotels during the pandemic because frankly at the initial stages no one wanted to share a room with a stranger that was looking distinctly dodgy as a prospect so um, uh, hostels had a really hard time but um, they are now have now bounced back occupancy building again and uh, those young travellers who, uh, who frequent them are out there on the road flying around the globe once more so um, safe stay solid solid set of recent results um, and uh, also pushing on hard ANO uh, and um, the, but what's interesting about these these groups is they say there's, there's been very little MA activity uh, during the last two three years or even out of the pandemic and also most of them uh, remain out with the kind of mainstream in terms of their backers um, many private equity players um, despite uh, the kind of strength of these businesses and the growth they are seeing so how soon will it be that one of the big hotel brand groups buys into a hostel mm. i think that's an interesting question this this you know why have um the big brands been so um reluctant to engage with hostels i think part of it is because most of them hail from north america and north america um uh, hostel is a very negative thing <laughs> over there um and you've only got to look um you know I, I looked at some numbers from hostel world which is the sort of the hostel sector's uh, main ota online travel agent and they reckon that in 2022 there are 197 million bed nights sold globally in the hostel market um in the US, um, it was just six million. So out of those, sort of six million out of almost 200 million. So it shows you just what a tiny portion of the hostel market there is in the US. Western Europe, um, in contrast, is 78 million. 
bed nights and Eastern Europe's a further 20 million. So clearly Europe is the continent in which hostels um, um, you know, are dominant. Um, not sort of dominant in the sense of they're bigger than hotels, but you know, the overall um, um, position of, of in, in terms of the hostel market, it's Europe that is the, the dominant uh, continent. Um, and, and, and if you look, I mean, you mentioned some of the, the big names within hostels. So the biggest in Europe is A&O Hostels, which has been owned by TPG since 2017. Um, and um, TPG was uh, well bought um, Angelo Gordon um, this May, um, and it's now this giant uh, asset manager with uh, 208 billion US of assets under management. Now, um, you know what what this means for A and O remains to be seen. I mean, it could mean that the disposal is sped up, or it uh, means that um, maybe TPG will take a view that well, there's more money to be made here. Let's you know double down on it we'll see but we've also got the the situation with generator which is on again off again um sales process uh currently off um um this 600 million uh, pounds was touted at one point for a as a price um also as you said chris is miningger still to transact the berlin-based mm -hmm. uh, hybrid hotel and hostel um uh, offering um and of course that got caught up in the whole um cox and kings meltdown um and cox and kings the brand is now owned by abercrombie and kent but um still ongoing shenanigans in india i think with cox and kings in 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 the the law courts over there um but certainly i think if some of these um you know putative deals could actually transact that will help in terms of transparency in the hostel niche and should generate further investor in interest so it's a shame none of these things has really got going um interestingly in terms of that unlocking that sort of american market um my bet would be on um selena mm. um so they sort of sell themselves as this kind of um, co-working and experiences local experiences brand but but really frankly you know they are a youth orientated thing they they look and smell to me like a hostel um, and Selena have just done this deal with global university systems who are uh, um, owner of various private universities and I think there's an obvious link there between those students and uh, what Selena's doing um, so I think that's going to be quite interesting um, how that plays out and I think that could be the one to see sort of Selena come in you know as a sort of hostile um, uh, kind of player without being called a hostile if you see what I mean so um, it's interesting if you look at Selena's investor presentation who they see themselves competing up against so they list Generator and Generator's sister brand Freehand um, which again is a US thing um, it's a hostel but not a hostel um, you've got Citizen M you've got Student Hotel uh, now called the Social Hub Meininger Soho House the Hoxton Mama Shelter Ace Hotel these are also the lifestyle brands which Selena's trying to to get into and uh, Selena talks about revolutionizing the travel industry with authentic locally immersive experiences on a global scale um, 
it's certainly world-class marketing spin i'd suggest <laughs> but uh, the reality is that it it, it 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 does really look and sound like a hostel i think um so it, it could be interesting and maybe um maybe selena i mean i think if selena's going to th thrive it will be by um cracking open the, you know the same demand base that hostels reach in europe um for north america now back in 2019 uh the chinese made a 170 million outbound tourism trips uh, and so that was a massive number by any any measure and uh, the the question now is uh, how soon will we get back to that sort of number and head for growth once more but more importantly uh, where are those chinese going to travel to uh, and what are they going to be looking for when they travel out so you know there's the cliched uh, tour group following the uh, filled umbrella um, ticking off their you know Eiffel Tower and so on and so forth before, before they all go shopping um, well uh, the China watchers tell us th this time around things are going to be a bit different and the Chinese are going to be looking for um, more experiences and a different kind of uh, uh, tourist experience um, and th they're going to be heading all around the world but the question is are they going to stick more local and regional for now um, and you know various uh, countries in uh, in Asia who are have been strong destinations prior to the pandemic are setting out their stall to uh, try and uh, attract the Chinese in ever greater numbers to their countries so um, an interesting space because uh, you know let's face it uh, if, if things go anything like they have in the past the Chinese will be traveling more and more and will be an ever larger player in the global tourism market mm. I think the, the big overhang uh, with China with the People's Republic of China is the um, geopolitics and there's a lot of negative noise around geopolitics regarding that country um, and it's hard to avoid that and I think it's uh, it would be a brave CEO from a Western company that committed significant resources to expanding inside China um, but just as we talked in our first item um, about how resilient demand is proving in in for hospitality I think that's certainly true if you look at travel and tourism in China there's very resilient demand there um, and despite of all all of this this is back this negative noise around the geopolitics um, now what's fascinating with China there there aren't very reliable numbers around so you quoted a 170 million outbound mm -hmm. trips so according to the um, Ministry of Culture and Tourism um, in China um, it was 155 oh, okay. million in right. 2019 so who knows but uh, but it's only a lot and you know that still places it you know probably twice as much um, as um, in terms of US outbound although it is worth noting that that number does include trips to Hong Kong ah. and Macau which um, you know so that slightly inflates it I think it's uh, um, so but it, it is yeah, all told 255 billion US dollars in in spending and Chinese travelers are a huge proportion of some countries inbound tourism 28% um, to Thailand 30% to Japan and 16% uh, of non-EU visitors to Germany so that's that's quite a bit um, and it 
to reinforce your point in terms of the changing nature of the outbound market in China, uh, McKinsey survey, it was actually quite an old survey now back in November 22, um, it showed the Chinese are keener on countries closer to home um, than Europe, um, countries like Australia and Japan. Um, but the wealthiest Chinese are still and remain keen on EU destinations. Um, and I think Europe, you know, you wrote, Chris, um, about in your piece about how the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia was really targeting mm. Chinese tourists. Um, and I think the big challenge for the Saudis is going to be Europe. I mean, I think it's how they can prize those wealthy Chinese, you know, away from Europe to, to Saudi. Uh, I think that's going to be quite a big challenge for the for that sort of uh, demand um, management, um, destination management organisations uh, in, 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 uh, in Saudi. I think that's going to be quite difficult for them. But, um, uh, you know, we've got these challenges in terms of the numbers coming out of China so it's not entirely easy to to tell exactly you know what is going on in that country um, I suggest we've got a couple of uh, big problems um, one is um, the growing unemployment rate again in our first item I suggested that unemployment is the key economic metric to watch in terms of what's going to be happening to hospitality demand well you know it's not looking good in China at the moment particularly among young people um, again the data is slightly patchy mm -hmm. shall we say and unreliable so we're not entirely sure what's going on um, and the second issue which is happening is the uh, property market crash um, and you know with your house prices flat price you know plummeting you're going to be a bit more nervous about spending on overseas trips I would suggest um, so th th these are two quite significant negatives I think in terms of the the Chinese outbound market um, but despite all of that the sheer volume of Chinese travelers now that they've got over the COVID nonsense and are going to be allowed out I mean we've got some sort of uh, um, short-term um, frictions in terms of this there's a lot of people without passports and there's a big queue to get passports and air, air um, uh, airlines are still coming back online so these are all sort of short-term frictions which will hold back a sort of truly um, snap back kind of recovery but over the next year I think most of these will be behind us so I think it's going to be um, looking good and you know there's no question that uh, the Chinese outbound market is going to be uh, very important. Indeed. Now this week we are reeling with feedback not only did I bump into one of our listeners this week, but actually we had a note from one of our listeners after our Five Star and No Star Awards last week. And so we're going to review our No Star Award from last week, Andrew, aren't we? Yes, uh, shout out to Ross Breen, um, based in uh, the Republic of Ireland. And uh, he points out that of um, the Irish Tourist Board um, has a... Um, uh, condition that hotels must display their maximum charges uh, and are not allowed to exceed them. So, um, you know, actually, what what has been going on there during these? Um, um, it was yes, a Taylor, Swift, Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift mm. uh, concert. Um, 
so um, so when it, whatever particular popular beat combo mm-hmm. is appearing um, and driving up demand um, they really shouldn't be exploiting it to the degree they have been so um, thank you Ross for putting us straight and on uh, the five stars this week is for the strength of tourism recovery in Spain however <laughs> 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 yes, <laughs> indeed. So, yeah, we've got this issue um, with, you know, over-tourism is again rearing its ugly head. And, you know, as an industry, we are going to have to look at this and address this in appropriate ways. Um, and in particular, this is, you know, it's going to be a public-private partnership. We're going to need um, appropriate levels of regulation to get this sorted out. Um, in Spain specifically right now, we've got this situation where in Barcelona they've been stopping uh, hotel development which and guess what um, they haven't got <laughs> enough hotels to put everybody up um, so we've got this um, um, you know we've got quite respectable um, researchers I think there was one uh, BBVA um, a research report yeah, you've dug yeah. out Chris um, which um, said that uh, it's really now at saturation saturation point in Barcelona um, which is not a good situation to be at and uh, so you know what's the best way forward with this um, how are, how is it going to be dealt with I would suggest that one way of do, dealing with this is tax and you know nobody likes a bed tax but in in this kind of situation a flat rate bed tax which actually deters the kind of tourists you're not so keen on so all of those stag do's um, and hen do's um, which they're you know which aren't particularly popular um, they will be deterred if you know they are face a significant uh, bed tax on them um, equally the low spending backpackers and people like that again will be deterred if there's a significant bed tax but you'll still get in those higher spending sort of five star um, hotel stayers which I would suggest are a very good thing for a local economy and on that happy note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>